Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast. Explosions and fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing world building for game masters and have our esteemed guest, Baron DeRop of the incredible YouTube channel, Dungeon Masterpiece. Welcome, Baron. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and your passion for ta- tabletop role-playing games. Yeah, so I started my channel in 2020, 20, I can't remember, two years ago. I guess it's 2021. <laughs> I can do math. The pandemic just kind of cleared my calendar enough to, to actually do it. But it had been something I'd been kicking around as an idea since about 20, 2015, 2016, something like that. You know, I just wanted to provide more tactical and practical advice for dungeon mastering, especially as it related to other forms of media, like what can we learn from video games and cinema and literature? Of course, I don't really talk about literature too much because nobody really reads. So I don't think that would resonate with most, <laughs> most audiences. But I, I do pull a lot of a lot of, you know, dungeon mastering conceptual ideas and game design ideas from other forms of gaming media. And just that's the goal really is to show people how there are lessons that we can learn from other things. And then I also inadvertently became the geopolitical fantasy world building guy. <laughs> I didn't mean to. It just kind of happened that way. Oops. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually going viral right now. My first geopolitics video about Faerun is going viral again, which is fun. I think I think I'm not 100% sure, but based on the comment activity that I've been getting, it looks like one of Lorraine Studios social media accounts has recently shared the video. So <laughs> I've not been able to find where they shared it, though. It just seems that way. But anyway, yeah, so that that's kind of what I talk about. I like to I, I kind of have like the secret mission of injecting OSR sensibilities into <laughs> like modern fifth edition gameplay. So, you know, that that's the open secret of my channel is to is to trick everyone to start playing the OSR. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I think I think honestly, I probably started listening to you last year, or maybe at least towards the end of 2021. But, you know, one of the things I love about your channel is that it kind of has more what I would consider bite sized pieces of tutoring mm-hmm. or understanding than the normal like half hour plus videos out there that lean more heavily into the host talking about themselves and getting lost in the weeds. Yeah. How did you decide on this format? I think it came about from just being a forever student for like nine years. I have a multiple academic degrees that are total paperweights that I don't do anything with, (laughs) but I never got to like a 500 level or 600 level coursework Mm. uh, threshold. Like, so I never had to really push myself beyond a 1500 word essay. So all of my scripts are very representative of a 1500 word essay. So, you know, and and that's even like in public speak, like I can do it for public speaking if I'm creating a presentation, which I do frequently. A 45 minutes, one hour, you know, slide deck is something I'm very proficient at delivering. But for some reason, like sitting down to really crystallize what I want to say, it just comes out as a 1500 word concept, which basically mm-hmm. wraps up in about five to seven minutes so so that's just that's it's just the nature of how i've been trained to think about problems you are the product of your training it makes perfect sense yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) which thankfully for us you don't have multiple phds or else your videos would be very long 
and they would also be far less frequent. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You get one every four years or something. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's like one of my favorite YouTubers folding ideas. I started following him back when he had like 40,000 subscribers or something. He was very small. And then he just decided, like sent out a message to all of his patrons. And he was like, you know what? All these little bite-sized movies about cinema that I've been doing that are like 15 minutes long. I'm done with that. I'm going to pivot to hour plus documentary style content <laughs> from now on. And don't expect to see me again for six months. <laughs> and That's every great. single video he's put out since then has just been a viral banger. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is it? He made one talking about just the ludicrousness of NFTs mm. and just ha- it's like a three hour long documentary. Wow. And accrued two million views in a month. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe they're like because you know you can kind of get a sense of the YouTube algorithm meta, and there is something to be said for like engaged watch time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we maybe that's why Matt Colville is so popular because all of his videos are like an hour long, right? Of course, you know, between you and me and the hole in the wall, I, I don't think that you get quite as much at, as people like to think they do out of a Matt Colville video. Oh, no, so. I agree. 100%. <laughs> There's always like a part, whether it's a quarter or halfway through, where I'm like, am I still listening to this? I don't know. Yeah. Am I actually getting getting anything tactical or is this just or is this just like you pontificating like it's entertaining pontification for for sure. But is it, (laughs) you know, am I actually spending my time valuable if the goal is to improve my DMing? Exactly. (laughs) You know, so I'm wondering if you can take us back to your the origins of your interest in tabletop role playing games. Sure. So this is a fun story because it's I, I find that it is not expected. My first day in homeroom in sixth grade, I was like nine years old. There were some kids that I became quick friends with that were playing Magic the Gathering. And they gave me a couple commons, like enough to make a 40 card deck or whatever, threw some basic lanes in there and taught me how to play. And so I went home and was super excited and told my mom we had to go to the game store and buy more Magic cards. And my mom who, you know, bless her heart, is a total pushover. (laughs) She is, she's also like one of those, she had this like lingering concept of back in the 80s when the satanic panic happened, even though this was like 10 years later. She's like, oh my gosh, he's, and he's getting into this game, and I think it's the thing that, that with the satanism. Here comes the demons. (laughs) Here comes the demons, (laughs) which is hilarious because it was not that game. Uh, but anyway, she took me to the game store begrudgingly. I found out later, like she never expressed this to me verbatim. She just thought I was getting into Satan worship, but that's, you know, thanks mom for thinking I was getting into <laughs> Satan worship and not doing anything about it. Uh, <laughs> and going along with it, <laughs> just going along with it. Like that is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> um, so anyway, we go to the game store and I pick up some magic cards and while I'm there, on one of the shelves is the Sailor Moon book that's also a game. I was like, what the heck is this? Well, it turns out it was the Tristat first edition, like big eye, small mouth variant of the Sailor Moon RPG. Mm. So I convinced my mom that I had to have this because at the time, like I'm not an anime fan, but I really love say I loved at the time Sailor Moon. I'm like, take it or leave it now. It's it's not super nostalgic for me. But, you know, I was like, Mom, I got to get this book. And I still have it on my bookshelf, actually. It's totally beat to hell. But so she bought this book 
and was ecstatic to do so because she thought it was like, this is a game that's not Satan worship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So anyway, I took that book to school and played it for a few days with, you know, air quote played, played at it with with some of my friends. And then I think the kid's name was Joseph. I want to say his name was Joseph. He on Friday that week brought in three books. It was like, you think that game's cool. Let me show you this one. And he dropped these three tomes on my desk. And there they were. Second edition, revised, <laughs> advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And he told me I could borrow them. So I took them home over the weekend. And, you know, to my mom's horror, there were the three <laughs> the actual <laughs> the things Dungeons we were trying to avoid. <laughs> of course, by the end of the weekend, she realized I was just being a nerd drawing maps on, you know, book paper <laughs> and, you know, rolling up random tables. Like, I, I don't know where I got these dice. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how I ended up with them. I think my grandmother gave some to me that she had somehow. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, I had these dice and, you know, I was making dungeons that were completely terrible because, you know, I was nine. And anyway, Monday rolls around and I have to take them back to my friend. And I didn't know it at the time, but his parents had recently divorced Hmm. and his father bought the books for him as a gift, but also as a means to troll his mother because he knew that his mother was quite, you know, very devout Christian and also had the the satanic panic mindset <laughs> still. Oh my gosh. So I give them to him on Monday and he goes home with them. Tuesday, he comes back into class and is like, my mom told me I had to to throw the books away because they're of the devil. Do you want them? Because you seem to like them. I don't want to throw them away. So I became the inheritor of these books as a result of this. And I still have them today. They're still on my bookshelf. So I, I believe is... his name was Joseph. So thank you, Joseph. Um, you know, shout out to you for kickstarting this channel, basically. <laughs> that is a great origin story. And I love the satanic panic in the background of it, too. Oh, it's yeah. just sort of like inescapable for, yeah. for a lot of this hobby, right? Right, right, right. It's, it's so funny. So but, uh, when, when yeah. you got those books, you know, obviously you're, you're building up at an earlier age. Did you kind of right. immediately get into, you know, game mastering or did you have time as a player at all? Uh, no, I didn't play as a player until, you know, I exclusively was the dungeon master. I didn't play as a player until fourth edition was out, but I did mm-hmm. not play fourth edition. I played third edition and I guess it was about nine months or so about every other week. And that was the only time I've really played as a player in like a long term campaign Hmm. outside of that, outside of those maybe some odd 20, 30 sessions. I think that I played as a player outside of like conventions. I've never played as a player. Basically, Hmm. it's always been dungeon mastering. So how has your mindset changed? I mean, obviously, you started at a young age, but how have you changed sort of your run through about how you want to build worlds, you know, and how you make a Mm. campaign successful. Oh, man, that has changed so much over the years. So it used to be that, you know, I would just completely fly by the seat of my pants back when I was in high school. Like I would start with just it's, it's interesting, like I instinctively just started with a town and maybe a few nearby locations like, you know, a forest and a mountain with a cave in it. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to get going. And then after that, I started reading, what was it? I don't know. I kind of took a break from DMing 
and got back into it and got really inspired by reading the Alexandrian. And I think I'd latched onto a few things that Justin Alexander said, which, by the way, for your listeners, if you are not familiar with Justin Alexander's blog, The Alexandrian, I highly encourage you to go check that out. He also has a YouTube channel. So go check that out as well. Great information there. But I latched onto a few things in his blog pretty hard that I think I took two to heart. And it led me to build this absolutely massive and expansive game world. And I never really did anything with any of it. You know, I had this effectively like 300 pages of a Word document of just notes upon notes upon notes upon notes of stuff that was everywhere. And, you know, eventually it got to the point where I was like, why? Why am I doing this to myself? (laughs) You know, I didn't even have a player group at the time. Honestly, I was kind of in a weird place in my life. And, you know, for a couple of years, I guess three or four years, I didn't have a didn't hardly play at all, just outside of like one shots. But so that kind of like broke my brain as far as that scale of world building. And then when I finally got a consistent game group again, I guess back in 2018, 2017, something like that, in my most recent game group, I realized that to have like a really compelling campaign world, you don't really need much more than maybe a handful of cities, like three or... And and by city, I mean like place where NPCs actually like work, live and and Mm -hmm. breathe oxygen. You know, you only need maybe five, maybe five dungeons to go exploring in. And you can capstone that by level 11. And, you know, who plays higher than level 11 anyway? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can capstone that pretty well as a as a campaign and run around in that sandbox for about two years before before it just starts getting overwhelmingly ridiculous. So, you know, that's that's kind of where my head is at right now. But it changes like I think as I've matured as a dungeon master, I'm also starting to see that the world that you build also needs to reflect the availability of your players, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, you know, if if you have like right now, I play with some extremely career driven and very hungry people in their day to day career, and they're constantly traveling for work. They're constantly, you know, having weekend meetings or something or something to that effect. And the nature of their job just renders them less available to play than, you know, somebody who just works a punch in punch out nine to five you know the there's a lot to be said for people who have a strong work-life balance but for some people that extremely hard hard driven career orientated uh lifestyle is the work-life balance they want and you know building a world in which you can tell a story that is succinct and clear and memorable enough and it's not full of like weird political hijinks while, for example, they're, you know, dealing with a customer account in Leipzig, you know, they're <laughs> going to be they're going to be doing focused on that for two for two weeks. You don't want them to come back and not remember half of the weird, intricate little game notes that you took. So, you know, there's a there's a, a lot to be said about, like, build the kind of world 
that will give your players the best experience, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I love that too. The idea that it's not just in the game that you're thinking right. about your players, but it's in the design of the world as well. Exactly. That's great. So yeah. Aaron and I have talked a lot about pitfalls of DMs, mistakes mm-hmm. they've made. You mentioned a big one there, over committing to oh, for sure. the world. Are yeah. there other trends that you've seen for DMs of the mistakes that they've made or you know, kind of things to caution us about? Uh, yeah, not playing enough. I think if you're going to be good as a DM, you need to be playing as much as possible as a DM. Mm-hmm. Like they're not they're not doing enough game sessions. They're not getting the reps in. You know, like there for a while I was running three game sessions a week for probably three or four years. Oh, and wow. I know that looking back at, across that time period, the amount of growth that I had as a DM in that time period was so radically extreme compared to the amount of growth I had in the three years prior where I was only playing every other session or once every other week. So there's a lot to be said with just getting the reps in, you mm-hmm. know, have have as many sessions as you possibly can. And as much as I do a lot of geopolitical world building content on my channel a lot and i feel like this is also my fault i have done a poor job of representing how little you need to do that stuff in order to get moving in order to get going Mm -hmm. in a game Mm -hmm. like just draw a quick doodle of a small map throw two settlements on there through two factions one or two dungeons and go like you should not be spending more than a month at most you should not be spending more than a month before you start playing in a fully fleshed out game world mm-hmm. that you have designed yeah we've talked about this before too yeah. but often we find that our players actually just don't care about all the lore exactly. that we built <laughs> exactly they, they, it's like most so of the time they don't care yeah. they don't they don't care the only reason that they're they would care is if it's directly related to the things that they're doing mm-hmm. right and and that's that's kind of the question you got to ask. It's like you can you can do whatever world building you want, but like, do the players care about your intricately designed three hundred day calendar? No, period. You know they they just they're not going to engage with it, and it's going to be extremely confusing to them if you try and create like calendar based puzzles mm-hmm. about you know this three hundred day calendar. It's going to be really confusing and frustrating to them and honestly not fun. Just stick with a 360-day calendar that, you know, has 7 7 weeks in it and, you know, is are there comments on these videos? I said 360 on purpose. Uh, <laughs> there are. <laughs> okay. That's actually a, a nod to Egyptian mythology. They they believed that the 5 days that were extra don't exist. That that's how the that's how they figured out the leap year problem themselves. <laughs> it's 360 days and then there were 5 days of festival that didn't actually oh, exist. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cuz it had to be a perfect circle. It was 360. <laughs> Eloquent <laughs> solution. Yeah, what do we do with those five? Just party. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. They were a gift from the gods. But, uh, you know, don't overcomplicate your world. Have have just enough faction intrigue and then make the faction intrigue that happens in your world directly related to the crap the players can get into. Because otherwise, it's just noise in the background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know. But yeah. I'm sure I'm just preaching to the choir now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the things we've talked about before in a previous podcast about DM burnout. And one of the tips we give is to just play, even if you don't have everything. 
because yeah. as you play, you generate it, you know, like Brian's mm-hmm. mentioned before also, you know, people making their character in the game as in from a more of a backstory standpoint, but it's the same thing with DMing. I think, you know, where mm-hmm. if, if you come up with this idea or the players go to a place that you didn't think of now, it's like, Oh wow, that's a really good plot hook. I should bring this in here. Or this is a person I would have even thought of, but now or NPC or they're a pivotal part of the story. And I, I think that I, I have noticed that a lot about your videos is that there are a lot of, please go easy on yourself videos and just kind of make the game a, a little bit better for yourself from a, a creation standpoint. Right. Yeah. I, I, I kind of talk about that in a video that I kind of thought was going to end up being a throwaway. Like I was like, people kind of need to hear this, but nobody's going to engage with it. Like nobody, nobody wants to listen to the thing they actually need to hear, you know? And I wrote, <laughs> A video and I, I can't remember exactly what it is but it was you know writing campaigns why we waste time mm. is the thumbnail and it's like my third most viewed video now <laughs> <laughs> which is great but it, it took like two months for it to pick up and actually start getting some traction but no it's it's good to see that you know I think people recognize there's a problem they just don't know how to get out of it I, th- mm. I think you just get lost in the motion of world building because world building is fun in its own right Right. And you it that fun tricks you into thinking that you actually need a complete world before you can sit down and start playing. And that's just not like define define complete, first of all, mm-hmm. you know, because <laughs> I can ask a million and one questions right now about J.R. Tolkien's world that is incomplete, that exposes it for being incomplete, that the mm-hmm. lore will never be able to answer. I, I think there's this trap where there's certain DMs and certain mindsets that maybe they just need to be novelists. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if you're oh, that 100%. far, if you're that yes. far, if you like for you, if you're 300 pages into your lore, yep. maybe you just keep going and that's your first book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my problem was like, it was all geared toward actual dungeon mastering. Mm. Like nothing was like wasted lore. I might have had two or three pages of lore. It was all like fully expecting that, you know, people were going to be exploring every hex for multiple days mm-hmm. in my game world. And I was like, okay, what's in this hex? And I would flesh out just all kinds of crap that was in that hex. But of course, nobody actually engaged with all this stuff. They were like, okay, we just go to the next town because that's where the adventure is. You know, <laughs> and may- maybe, you know, I'd throw a random encounter at them based off of what was in the hex. But half the time, they were like, these doppelgangers aren't worth our time. Let's go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And you agree to yeah. it as you have a tear just streaming yeah, yeah. down your teeth. <laughs> exactly. it's, that's fine. Let's go. <laughs> so, it, you know, just writing encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter. None of them got used. That's also part of why I really like the OSR, because instead of wasting all that mental effort on developing all of that stuff, it instead, the, that design paradigm teaches you to just be much more reactionary mm-hmm. with random tables in a comfortable way. Like normally you never would want to be reactionary in, in your day-to-day life, but by just by hand having a few dice rolls, rolling up some stuff on some random tables and then slamming together a few adjectives and nouns until you get an idea for a random encounter that is truly interesting. It's not just, you know, some monster condo combat <laughs> encounter, you know, it's it, it teaches you that you can get a heck of a lot of work done at the table without really slowing down gameplay. It's like 
everyone's doing their traveling thing and while somebody's up using the bathroom you're rolling 20 dice taking a few notes and mm-hmm. by the time they sit sit back down 45 seconds later you've got a a quality encounter designed that you can run them through so for sure so for our listeners you know i i've certainly seen some of them on your channel but what are some of the tools or resources that you'd recommend for you know aspiring world builders to improve their craft oh okay the gygax 75 challenge is probably the best codified checklist of what do i actually need to dm it is based off of an article that Gary Gygax himself wrote in 1975, hence the name, the Gygax 75 Challenge. But he just kind of details a walkthrough of all the bullet points that you need to consider before you start your Dungeons & Dragons game. I've got a video on it, but if you want a better entertaining video that walks through it in much more humorous detail, Bob World Builders video like just put in bob world builder and gygax 75 challenge it'll come up it's great fun bob's a great guy too but check that out it walks you through a process of and you can download the the checklist on or the the booklet it's a printable booklet by the way you can download that from itch.io i can't remember the publisher's name gosh it's it's killing me that i can't remember the guy's name but he's done some other stuff it's great great work (laughs) But it walks you through a week by week checklist of like, just sit down, make like an idea board or, you know, like in the fashion industry, they call it a lookbook, you know, just get a bunch of images, get a bunch of like stories, maybe even think of like, I want these movie themes Mm. in this game. And like you put some movies on a wall, just, you know, make your red string cork board. Um, (laughs) And that's week one. Week two is... I can't remember exactly all of the things in order. I think week two is creating a map and then of like the region and a few random encounters. And then week three is designing a dungeon Mm. and it walks you through a really interesting process. And I don't, I don't fully agree with the dungeon design process that it walks you through. I think it's just a little clunky and a little cumbersome. I think it takes a little too much time. There are other dungeon paradigms I would follow, but that's not to say that the the format of dungeon in that book is bad. It is actually great. Mm-hmm. I just think like it it gets an A, but there are some others out there that are an A plus. I can't remember them off the top. I've just like internalized them, but I can't remember where I've seen them off the top of my head as like a design system for someone to use. But follow the one in that book. It's great. And it walks you through like coming up with a few different themes for your dungeon. How many levels of, you know, actual physical levels of the dungeon do you actually need? You know, how to combine different things together in order to create interesting encounters. How many random magic items you need. You know, just how many monsters you need. Stuff like that. So it does a good job of walking you through that. And then the fourth week is deciding like your largest settlement or not necessarily the largest, but whichever settlement your players are going to start the game in, it walks you through a process of like, what factions do you like detailing your factions, detailing the local religion or ideological center point, you know, gets you to jot down a few names of shops, a few interesting rumors. And then you've got enough. You're off to the races, man. <laughs> you, you can start playing right then and there. 
you know, week five, it says it's a five week challenge, but week five is just basically iterating over that same process over and over again as you build out the entire world. Hmm. But it all starts with just, you know, one or two towns, a dungeon and the local area that connects them all together. And Bob's your uncle, you're done. So like <laughs> if you're if you're a starting DM and looking for how to like I need a framework to organize my thoughts on how to build a world, that's it. That's the one you need to get. Yeah. I love it. And I love that it's uh, a Gygax original from back in the day, too. That's yeah. Pretty cool. Like it doesn't get my it, like. And the, oh, that's another thing. The original article that the process is developed from the article is in the back of the PDF. So you can read Gygax's own thoughts on the matter, which some of them are, you know, hilariously dated. And you'll <laughs> understand what I mean by that when you read it. But, you know, it, it's definitely a, a, a relic of its time. But there's still like just reading that and seeing the stuff that Gygax was thinking is it's really interesting to get that, you know, firsthand experience of what dungeon design and world design was like back in 1974, 1975. When keep in mind, while Gygax was a proficient wargamer and game designer in the wargame hobby, he had only been dungeon mastering for about a year and a half when he mm. wrote that. So not even, not e maybe a year when he wrote that, that article. So, you know, it, it's interesting to see how much that wargaming advice gets pulled in. There's also another book, if you can find it, if you really want to go ham, what is the <laughs> name? I'm Googling it right now. Tony Bath Ancient War Games. Is that the name of the book? Tony Bath's Ancient Wargaming, including mm -hmm. setting up a war games campaign and the Hyborian campaign. This is a world building book for the purpose of ancient imagination wargaming. And that's a that's a wargaming term for imagination. That's like a portmanteau of imagine and nation. That's also one word. Usually they people when they write it in the in the old Grognard Wargaming forums, they put a capital N in there to make it clear that they're talking about you're imagining a new nation of people that you're wargaming with. But it walk <laughs> it walks you through the the process of like what actual stuff do you need when you're doing a full world like that will be at an epic scale. Um, so if you're really wanting to get noodly and you would like to expand not just this small setting, but you want to create something absolutely massive and epic that you could hypothetically run multiple groups through multiple times and have that much, you know, lore and backstory, that book is also really good at hmm. walking you through a process for, for doing that. It's and, and it is obviously told from the lens of ancient wargaming. So be prepared to be told that you're going to push a bunch of hoplite miniatures around on the table. <laughs> but the lessons learned are almost one for one translatable. That's awesome. Yeah, we've actually dived into the Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game for a little while. Oh, yeah. And I kind of wish that had a little more word building or, you know, story creation around it. But yeah, it's a, it's a I think it's an easy flow for a lot of those DMs to be able to read this and um, right. make those really good decisions from there. Yeah. Now, it, just while we're getting into kind of like the the proto D&D wargaming stuff, something that I don't think like OSR Krognards really talk about is just how much influence there was from or like that 
the, I kind of call it like the bronze era of wargaming, <laughs> but there are definitely some authors that you should check out. Stuart Asquith, Phil Barker, not mm-hmm. to be confused with Phil Barker, who became M.A.R. Barker when he changed his name and found out after the fact, and he was like really prolific writer for the D&D multiverse and ported one of his novel series, Tecumel, or the, the novel series was called The Empire of the Petal Throne. Absolutely fantastic book, but, but here's the caveat. Keep in mind, as you're reading it, it was discovered after he passed away that the guy was probably a neo-Nazi. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's so interesting because it's such a colorful world kind of based on Arabian and uh, Indus River Valley civilizations. Hmm. Uh, very, very interesting. But, you know, he's like I said, he's dead now. So it's not like he's getting the money. It's going to like his his family. And, you know, I've done a little bit of digging and they mostly seem like totally reasonable, fine people. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure it was just him. So he's not getting money anymore. So but, you know, so, but regardless of the fact, that's not the Barker that I'm talking about. Phil Barker, right. who is ironically a cousin of the M.A.R. Barker, like they were second cousins or something and had some discourse back and forth while one was working on wargaming and the other was working on RPGs and f- fiction writing. But Phil Barker, Stuart Asquith, who else? Charles Grant. Mm. Oh, man, if you can get some and they're hard to find. But man, if you can get some books by Charles Grant. And the reason I bring that up is because, like, these were the writers who were extremely influential on Gygax and mm. Arneson when they were creating D anD. d So it's 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 a really interesting way to to get into the head of Gygax mm. while he was in developer mode and while he was figuring out D anD. d because you can see the 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 intellectual ecosystem that they were existing in by reading those books. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, check those out. Yeah. Do you have any upcoming projects or themes that we can look forward to on your channel? So I've kind of been working my way through reading. I've been re- kind of rereading the Dungeon Master's Guide 5th Edition and just, you know, taken completely aback of just how absolutely terrible it is as a piece of work for new, not just for new Dungeon Masters. Like, I've never seen. 250 300 what is it 253 pages i think so no it's like i think the dungeon master's guide is like 320 pages of just there's so little actual actionable advice there so little advice and the advice that is there is ludicrously gimmicky Mm. and mathy and not in a way that's actually helpful and this is supposed to be to help new dungeon masters (laughs) get you know get air under their wings and it's it fails at that goal fantastically hard it fails at that goal but then it also fails as like a resource that experienced dungeon masters could return to so you know like where's all the tools that i could use to build a monster like maybe that might be the best thing that's available is the monster creation system mm. in fifth edition. And it is laughably bad. <laughs> like <laughs> it is so bad, but like all of these mathematical concepts like challenge rating and the XP budget and, you know, faction design systems that they have in the book. 
the advice for world building. It is so middle school book report level of skill in the in the actual writing that I've kind of just been going through chipping away at like whatever chapter kind of jumps out at me on that particular day. Mm-hmm. I've been going back and and like I'm kind of working through a series right now just loosely. You know, it's it's not like going to be a, a codified series per se, but I've just been kind of working on that. That's 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 mainly what I've been focusing on here lately. That does resonate with me because I don't know that I've ever done and I've never really seen a dungeon master pull out the DM, the DM's guide real quick. It's, or it's awful. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's it just, awful. That doesn't seem to be the way that, that it works. Yeah, which is really interesting because you can go back and read the first edition DM's guide, for example, and there it's full of actionable advice and like tools and and tables and and you know stuff to help you make your own monsters and help you make your own magic items and especially the encounter building advice in the book as well as examples like there's no examples of how to design a good encounter like please explain to me what a good encounter looks like and not just one but like multiple different encounters what does a good thespian style encounter look like what does a good combat encounter look like? What do and, you know, give me like 10 different ideas for combat encounters, mm-hmm. you know, and this is something that I, I kind of struggle with, with going and reading, especially Charles Grant's work. And this is something I've thought about doing as a Kickstarter as well. Charles Grant, the wargaming author that I spoke of earlier, he's got a number of books that are nothing but historical imagination wargaming scenarios Mm. you know and and it's like here's the setup on the battlefield play it out how do you how does this play out you know so and and like everything is detailed from the lens of you know horse and musket napoleonic kind of level like that was that was kind of the the meta back then everybody played everybody played napoleonics you know it's it's really funny (laughs) you know and if you didn't play Napoleonics, you were playing like Romans versus Persians or something or or the or not Persians, Carthaginians. Sorry, like those are like the two things that people played back then. You know, where is that in the Dungeon Master's Guide? Like, show me examples of combat encounters that work, that are balanced, <laughs> that, you know, detail that for me. And the closest we've gotten to that, I think, is index card RPGs. There's a section on encounter building and encounter design. And Hanker Infernale, the author in that book from Runehammer Games, does a very good job of like walking you through. Here are 10 or 12 different encounter types. And here's some ideas that you can chuck at your players. But even then, it's not. And and perhaps that might be asking too much. You know, the, the Charles Grant level style of like, here's a four page breakdown of this combat scenario or this wargaming scenario, you know, maybe that's too much, but you know, I'd, I'd like to see something a bit more codified. And for that matter, like it would be really nice to be able to have a book of dungeons and dragons, combat encounters, like epic encounters. Hmm. Just give me the book and I can change the flavor of where it is at, whether it's a bunch of hobgoblins and goblins and war riders in a forest on a forest clearing on a sacrificial plinth or it's basically the same thing with like vampire spawn vampire spawn and a horde of undead wolves 
and you know a vampire sorcerer up on the back in on the on some sort of altar like i can take that same thing and reskin that same encounter multiple times mm-hmm. how do i set this encounter up so that it's actually entertaining and not just <laughs> you know i move 30 feet and start melee combat and i it's nothing but dice attack rolls for the rest of the encounter like how do i build something that's actually interesting you know give me a puzzle to solve in combat if that makes sense mm, yeah absolutely it's it's good to have that flavor whenever you're for sure. in combat so as uh, as we're getting close to our close here um okay. is there anything that uh you wanted to bring up that we haven't asked you about Ooh, anything that i want to bring up that you haven't asked me about i don't know I've, we've been pretty verbose with one another we certainly have um, <laughs> i don't know keep follow the channel but not just so you can get my content but i'll be releasing a campaign setting here in the near future oh, great. that will be for fifth edition i've been working on it for about a year and a half now it'll be for fifth edition but it'll have a lot of the world building and you know encounter tools encounter design tools that i talk about in my channel that are very osr adjacent so you'll you know so you can back it on kickstarter sure but you know the goal there is not for me to make money it's so that you can actually see kind of what i'm talking about because you know it's hard it's very hard to publish something that really codifies what i talk about in video format and i find that that advice can be kind of ephemeral and it's Mm -hmm. hard to sit down and actually do it so for that reason if you enjoy my content keep an eye out for that that's probably gonna come i don't know we've been saying it's six months away for like 18 months so but it'll eventually it'll eventually happen (laughs) that's awesome we look forward to seeing it well thank you for joining today it's been a pleasure speaking with you yeah no problem for our listeners who have not checked it out it's well worth it to go to dungeon masterpiece on youtube he does have an excellent channel i believe he also has a patreon going as well so that's worth i do definitely checking out also i'm sure there'll be some good drops there about this campaign he's mentioning whenever that shows up and yeah brian take it from there and thanks everyone for listening this week please check us out on our instagram or at our website infernalschoolhouse.com and we also have a store on etsy thanks everybody